In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I beg your pardon for my sins, and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As we have placed ourselves in the presence of God with these words that St. Maria used to begin any time of prayer, we want to thank our Lord for the opportunity to be on retreat. This retreat which reminds us of what our Lord used to do with the apostles when he used to take them aside and rest a while is a great opportunity for us to re-examine our lives in the presence of Jesus in our soul in grace or in the blessed sacrament or in scripture to see what we need to change. The apostles were never indifferent when they encountered our Lord. They always came out of that encounter transformed. And that's what we ask of our Lord today. Lord, may this encounter with you that is more intense, especially on retreat, may it be an opportunity for me to be more identified with you. What is a retreat? A retreat is a, a time of prayer, a time of reflection, in which we examine our lives in the light of our Lord's gaze. We ask on retreat what is going well. Usually we do a retreat once a year. And we examine this past year, what, what went well. And we give thanks to God for that. But also, what didn't go so well? Where were our pitfalls? Where were our sins? What did we do badly? Where did we get upset? Where did we lose our cool, our presence of God, our serenity? And we ask, I'm sorry. We say, I'm sorry to our Lord for that. We apologize. We, we make a resolution to begin again. And we, we want to identify those, those things so that we can have a better year this year, at least a better struggle. A retreat requires interior silence. St. Maria used to say that silence is the doorkeeper of the interior life. Exterior silence also helps, of course, because we are, you know, as Aristotle would say, we, we think and, and, uh, and, and we talk about what we hear first. Nothing is in the mind that is not first in the senses. 
And so it makes sense that if we want silence in our interior life, that, that we live an external type of silence as well. Although sometimes we cannot avoid noise that we come across every day, but to the best of our ability, we want to minimize that on retreat so that we can keep up uh, an inner dialogue with our Lord. As a theme for this retreat, I have chosen the conversion of St. Paul. We are about to celebrate the feast of the conversion of St. Paul on January 25th. And therefore, it is a, a very appropriate moment for us to actually see if we can get into that conversion of this great apostle who, to whom we owe a lot. Because since he was so generous, many people found their way to God. And think that this conversion in the history of mankind really influenced a lot of, a lot of uh, Western culture after that. And it continues to do so. And not just culture, but the salvation of many people. Well, analogously, think of what could happen if you and I convert in this retreat. Think of all the souls that will come to know Christ because we have decided to be more generous, like St. Paul was. St. Maria gives us a great piece of advice. He says that we should try to get into the scenes of sacred scripture and be one more character in the scene to talk to Jesus as people who, are, who appear in the Gospels, in the New Testament, how they spoke with him. That's how we ought to speak with our Lord. And here, in this encounter that St. Paul had on the way to Damascus, as he converted, he spoke to our Lord and he entered into dialogue with him after being kind of thrown to the ground by this great light that appeared on the way to Damascus as he was going to eradicate Christianity in his zeal to bring people in chains back to Jerusalem who were following the way as, as uh, followers of our Lord were called then. Well, this encounter changed his life and changed the lives of many people around him. He went into Damascus and he was blind. He had to be led by the hand, as you know, by the people that were with him. And there in Damascus, he encountered uh, a Christian by the name of Ananias who put his hands on him and scales fell from Paul's eyes and he began to see again and he recovered his strength since for three days he did not eat after his encounter with this light, the light of Christ. Well, after that um, event, St. Paul would become the chosen vessel to bring the gospel to all of Asia Minor and, and eventually to Rome, and then die there for the faith. What a great saint! What a great life, entirely given to God.
and it all started with this encounter on the way to Damascus. Well, you and I can relive this exact conversion in slow motion. And that's what I would like to propose to you in these days before the conversion of St. Paul. We will have eight meditations, and each one will be the contemplation of one verse, one or two verses, and see what we can draw from those one or two verses in, in this conversion process. We will meditate step by step along the way to Damascus with St. Paul, see what happened to him, see if that could also happen to us. So, each meditation will cover a certain topic, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will help us to relive that little step so that we too can draw many conclusions and make many resolutions to improve our lives. We will do this, of course, um, with the help of, with the example of the saints, especially Saint Jose Maria, who are the continuity of the of the grace that our Lord came to give us in through the incarnation. The saints are kind of like that ray of light that comes out of the Gospels. Let us begin then. What is what does Saint Luke say in the Acts of the Apostles about the conversion of Paul? You may have read this many times, but let us focus on these these words here. But Paul or but excuse me, but Saul, still breathing threats of slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus that if he found any men or women belonging to this way, he might bring them in bonds to Jerusalem. And as he went on his journey, it came to pass that he drew near to Damascus, when suddenly a light from heaven shone round about him. Let us stop there. Let us consider what's going on in this meditation. Just these, these few lines that we have just read. We notice that Saul is working. His job is to eradicate Christianity. It's interesting I say that this is a job, and perhaps in his conscience it was an honest job, because he was a zealous Jew. And he thought that he was actually serving God by doing this. St. Maria pointed out that all the apostles somehow are called in their work, through their work. You know, think of St. Matthew, he was called at the, at the money changer's desk, um, at the tax, as a tax collector that he was. Think of um, James and John, who were mending their nets with their father Zebedee. Think of Simon and Andrew. And St. Maria points out that 
he says, wonder of wonders, and Paul is also called in, in his work, in his work, in his eagerness to destroy the seeds of Christianity. He says, don't be amazed that, that uh, God somehow calls you in and through your work, whatever it may be. Well, what does this mean for us? You know, here St. Paul is going, or Saul is going to <clears throat> Damascus. Where is your Damascus? What is your job? What do you do? You know, what, what is your profession? What have you chosen as, as that activity through which you serve society that is honest and that is an, that actually takes up a big chunk of your life and of your day and it gives you meaning you know in how you lead your life what what is your damascus where are you going in this journey of life this is what saint Maria says in a letter that he wrote in 1932 for those who knew how to read the gospel, how clear was that general calling to sanctity within one's profession, without leaving one's own milieu. Nevertheless, for centuries, the majority of Christians did not understand this. The ascetical phenomenon of many people seeking sanctity without changing their professional situation, rather sanctifying their profession and sanctifying themselves by means of their profession, and very soon the doctrine was forgotten on account of it not being lived. Well, think that our Lord is calling you in and through your work. He shows up at the office with you. He shows up, um, if you're a mother, he shows up, you know, when you have to wake up in the middle of the night and feed a child or change a diaper. Or if you're a teacher, our Lord shows up in the classroom. He's calling you there. Or a bricklayer in his work to build uh, a great house or a building. It is there that our Lord is calling us. And that's where we have to find him. Because we run the risk of thinking that our Lord's call is somewhere um, out there that is going to actually make us leave our daily structure, our daily life. And, well, sometimes he does call people to live in the desert, or he does call to, to dedicate ourselves in, in, you know, in a certain religious community or become a priest, change our profession, things like that. But 97% of the time, you know, 95% of the time, most people do not receive those kind of calls. But that doesn't mean they don't have a call. It doesn't mean they don't have a Damascus that they're going to. They, we all have a Damascus that we are, you know, we all have a mission. And most likely, our Lord is calling us right where we are already. Notice that our Lord does not tell Saul, you know, turn around now that you have seen the light. And go back to Jerusalem. He doesn't tell him, turn around. At least in this case, he doesn't. He says, he says, what does he say? He says, arise and go into the city. And it will be told you what you must do. Well, our Lord says, 
to Saul. Keep going to your Damascus. In other words, keep doing what you're doing, but now do it with a different light. Do it with a new light now, with new meaning. Put new meaning in there. This is um, significant, you know. This moment when when Saint Paul met our Lord along the way with this great light always was the center, became the center of his life afterwards. It's interesting how in the Acts of the Apostles, Saint Luke recounts this same story of the conversion of Saint Paul with all its detail three times in chapter nine, chapter twenty-two. And chapter 26, three times. I don't know if you know how significant this is for an ancient writer. I mean, right now we have a computer and we may write a story down. And if we want to repeat it again later on in chapter 22 and chapter 26, we just go back to our chapter 9, copy and paste. And there you have it again. We tweak a couple of words and that's it. And if we want to print it out, we just hit control P. And we print it out as many times as we want. No big deal. We repeat it. We don't have to rewrite it even. But that's not the way it worked in the ancient world. In the ancient world, in order to get one sheet of paper, perhaps it was goatskin or pergamon, or it was pretty expensive. You had to kill a goat. You had to, you know, then skin it and then take the wool out. And now you have a winter coat. Every time you get a page, you get a, you know, deal with a all the wool and sell it or do something with it. And, and um, you have to treat the, the skin now with certain chemicals so you can write on it. And then you only have one page or you have to sew it, you know, with other pages. It's, it's a pretty complicated process or papyrus, but papyrus didn't last so long. And, you know, to get a sheet of paper out of, you know, reeds of, uh, you know, the papyrus plant is just pretty complicated. You appreciate you know, what, what it means to, you know, you think twice about writing something down. It better be important. You certainly did not waste paper. You know, you did not waste a skin. Um, well, you know, for St. Luke to have written this, this account, or this story of uh, this great event of the life of St. Paul three times in his Acts of the Apostles, it really is... Um, Something that should make us ask the question, why? Why did he do that? Well, you know, I'm thinking that, this is my theory, but you can come up with other theories, that St. Paul must have talked about this a thousand times. It must have been the central focus of his life. He must have been telling it over and over again to anybody he, he encountered. And St. Luke, who was his companion, probably heard it many, 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 many times and writing it three times was the bare minimum to do justice to what St. Paul, to how important this event was for St. Paul. That's why we have it three times. Because it really tells us how important it is, how central it is to St. Paul's life. And how he used it, as a matter of fact, to then help others who would also be able to convert thanks to his own experience of conversion. That means that we too can use it as a means for conversion because St. Paul used it himself to try to convert others. Well, you know, what can we learn from it? And that's exactly what we're trying to do. 
get into this scene so that we can draw new light, new lessons for our own interior life. Let us talk about the light. Let us, let us examine this light. You know, he's going to Damascus, sees this light. What's so special about this light? Well, it's interesting that the, the account of St. Luke says it was a light that shone all around him. It shone all, all around him. What kind of light shines all around you? Well, if we take it as, a, as, a, as an intellectual light, you know, and we certainly can understand it that way, it's light for the intellect, allows us to see many aspects of our life all at once. In fact, there is no aspect of our life that is not enlightened by this great intellectual light or understanding or truth. What kind of truth is that that is so far superior to any other truth? Well, I think it's, um, it's a very special kind of truth. It's not just any truth. You know, right now we have uh, an overload of information on the Internet. We get all sorts of, we can get all sorts of things online. And um, we don't realize, you know, which ones are, tr what, what kind of information is true and what, it, you know, which one is false and which one we should pay attention to. And we need a hierarchy, actually, of truths. Because certain truths need to interpret other truths. And this kind of light is the light that must be used to judge and guide every other event, aspect, thing that we come across in our lives. Think of, um, think of the Magi. For them, it was the star. They always, you know, they didn't take one step. They didn't make a decision here and now if they didn't first look at the star. Or think of Abraham. He, he, he always had the memory of this call, right? Of this, of this extraordinary call that he heard from God, this promise. Right? He always went back to that promise whenever he made a decision, especially you know, a big decision like uh, offering up Isaac, you know, killing Isaac. That, that must have been a great thing. If he did not think of the promise of God, then he would not have been able to kill Isaac. He, he had to be thinking of that first and then use that promise, use that light, the light that came from that promise, in order to decide whether or not it was worth offering Isaac up in a sacrifice to God. So this light was not judged, but it was used to judge what the action should be. That kind of light is a vocational light. And we all have the light uh, that we received at baptism. All Christians do. And that is the light of our call to holiness. That's the guiding light that we should use all our lives in order to decide what to do here and now. There could be subsequent kind of... Um, um, Subsequent, we could say, zooming in 
zoomings in of the light, you know? So, for instance, when we get married, you know, your marriage is part of the vocational light that you received in baptism. It's kind of a specification of the call to holiness. So it's not a different call. It's not a second call aside from the call to holiness. It is within the call to holiness. This is how you are to be holy, by living this marriage, okay, here and now. Or a call to the priesthood is not um, something that happens, you know, outside of the call to holiness. It is, in fact, the way some people are called to live holiness and so on. And your own profession, your own profession, as things we used to say, makes up, you know, a big chunk of how you are to become holy. There is a, such a thing as a professional vocation, even though it's probably not in the same you know, sense as, as others, but it's not sacramental, for instance, you know, the choice of a profession as the priesthood would be. But, but still, it, it fits within. You know, it's, it's a specification. In this case, you specified how you were to you know, sanctify yourself, or how you are to sanctify yourself throughout your life. Yeah. Well, this is the kind of light that, that we're talking about. It's a, it's a light that shines all around. And it's not one to be judged, but one that is used to judge the events of our lives. And therefore, we need to pay attention to it. Because we will encounter difficulties. You know, that light will be called into question. That light will will um we will be tempted to judge whether that light is 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 definitive or not when difficulties come you know for instance i mean you can imagine a martyr you know if they're they're held at gunpoint and they're asked you know do you believe in jesus christ do you confess jesus christ and they say well you know well, i i'm not so sure now you know if you're going to kill me i'm not so sure you know, of course, they get grace at that moment in order to not deny our Lord and to, and to actually give their lives for our Lord. But all of a sudden, when, when, when we're held at gunpoint, you know, when, when there's conflict, or when, our, when the light of our vocation requires that we be taken out of our comfort zone, then all of a sudden, we know we, we may start questioning whether, well, we should be married to this person or not because it's so difficult. You know, and, and and the question is, do I judge the vocation, or do I use the vocation to judge the difficulty? We should reason this way: because I have a vocation, I can overcome this difficulty. Because I have the grace, because God has given it to me. Yes, I chose this vocation. I chose to marry this person. Well, you can count on the graces that God gives you in order to persevere there because it is something that is holy and ratified by God. Well, then, because you have the vocation, you can overcome the difficulty. Not the other way around. It's not because I have this difficulty, maybe I don't have a vocation. Maybe, you know, no. Same as Maria went through this himself. He went through through difficulties in his own vocation. And, and um, one time, early on, when he took on the commitment to celibacy, as he became a subdeacon in 1924, June 1924, he, he committed himself 
you know, to live celibacy. And unfortunately, in November of that same year, his father died. And he being the oldest in the family, he had to take care of the family. And he had to ask himself the question, you know, should I leave this commitment? And in fact, he could have, you know, because he was only a subdeacon, he could have, for grave reasons, uh, gotten a dispensation. But he didn't reason that way. He didn't say, you know, because I have this new situation, I have to change my, my path. He reasoned the other way. And it turned out to be very fruitful. He reasoned, because God somehow allowed it for me to receive this call in June, and he called my father to his presence in November, uh, it's because God somehow will give me the graces to persevere in this commitment. Okay? He thought that way. And in fact, that's what he chose. He said, I'm going to go through it and become a priest. And he did. And because of his priesthood, well, I could say that I am here. I am a priest. And, uh, and so many other souls could say that they somehow found their path to holiness themselves in their ordinary lives. Well, this is, this is the kind of light that we're talking about. It's a light that shines all around and should be, should be kept intact, as, as, uh, as he himself said, as Samus Marie said, you know, uh, should be kept untouched, intact, you know, um, should never be kind of malhandled, meaning doubted or, or, or judged by other kind of lights. This is a light that shines all around, and it has to give light to the way we lead our family life, the way we work, because I am a son of God. I am a child of God, and therefore that, that has to shine light in the way I work. The fact that I am a child of God makes a big difference in the, the way I deal with others. The fact that I am a child of God makes a big difference the way I say please and thank you, or the way I smile, or the way I deal with this contradiction or setback or whatever. It's a, it's a light that shines all around. Well, this is what we are called to meditate uh, today as we begin our retreat. What are, identify those lights. What are those lights in your life that are the most important lights? Uh, you know, what are those key ideas that, that, that should you know, cast a light into every aspect of your life, even in those you know, dark corners of your life, you know, the past, uh, your, your sins, your, your failures, anything. doesn't matter. Identify those lights. Write them down and, and go over them. In fact, this is what Mary did. Mary, uh, you know, what, what did she meditate on constantly that Luke constantly talks about? You know, he says, Mary constantly kept all these things in her heart. You know, what things? It was, it was the lights. It was the lights of her life. And what was the light of her life? Jesus Christ, her son. The Annunciation, the message of the angel, the promises made to her by God. And blessed was she because she believed in those lights. And she then, you know, put her life at stake and changed her plans according to those lights. Well, we can do the same. 
but we need to meditate on them constantly. So that's our exercise that we can do in our examination of conscience. Identify those lights and meditate upon them and remember them and use them to then judge every other aspect that we may have. Our Lady will help us, and so will St. Paul. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.